Let's start with the why did I choose these canonizations in Articulo Mortis? This is a Latin saying, technical saying. Uh, we use this, this uh, Latin saying when we give the last rites to a dying person. In Articulo Mortis means in the moment of death, right? Uh, it seems, I have experience of this, that very often a priest uh, giving the last rites, he's ensuring already the person of being in heaven in some way, but forgetting actually the, the necess necessity of purgatory in case, because they think that the sacrament, of course, is a grace, but uh, since the person, by God's grace, has received the last rites, these last rites uh, automatically, in a way, give the person the direct access to God's vision. But there is also another canonization, so to speak. Canonization in the sense of making that person already a saint in the moment of death, abolishing the necessity and the, the reality of purgatory. Uh, but another way to canonize the people, even more uh, common in our parishes, is to, to say that the person is already in heaven when we celebrate the funeral mass. If you, if you pay attention to the homilies yeah. uh, given during the, the funeral masses, the requiem masses, normally the priest, maybe in order to console the relatives, the people in the church, and tries always to say, don't worry, the person is now in the light of God, the person is with God, the person enjoys God's vision, everything is fine. The problem is with us that still remain on earth. <laughs> the problem is no longer with this person. This person finally has got God's vision. Any person, any if that person was a practicing person, if that person was just um, not practicing anymore, <clears throat> a lapsed uh, Catholic, doesn't matter, because it seems that the Mass said for that person is already a way to admit that person to eternal glory. But what about purgatory? Is this correct? No. Let's go back to the first example. When we priests give the last rites to a person, of course this is a grace of salvation, but the last rite is the, sun, the grace, which is not automatically the, uh, the absolution of all temporal pain of my sins. It is the absolution of my sins when I receive the last confession, for example. But we have to keep in mind that each sin committed causes always a, an eternal pain a te and a temporal pain. The eternal pain is God's offense, which deserves eternal damnation. And I have the absolution of this eternal pain when I get the sacrament of confession. But uh, though I get the absolution and the uh, remission of that sin, there is still the temporal pain to be repaired. What is the temporal pain? Uh, 
The temporal pain is the consequence of each sin, the bad effects caused by sins that we commit, right? <clears throat> temporal because uh, each sin um, causes always a bad inclination to sin, an inclination to evil, which is always more present when I sin. And each sin uh, increases this inclination to evil, this weakness to commit a sin. So in order to be completely purified from all my sins, I have to do penance, reparation, in order to get rid of that temporal pain, of that bad habit that I get when I commit a sin. This is the reason why each sacramental penance concludes always with, uh, each sacramental confession, penance, is always concluding with a final penance that the penitent has to make in order to fulfill the, the sacrament of penance. Of course, we know that the, the penance we get is normal, normally something small, a prayer, but it is an indication, it is an invitation to the person to do penance. Why to do penance? Because we have to repair that temporal pain, that is, that bad inclination, that injustice that I have uh, procured with my sin. So, and this is the reason why the church invites us to do penance, in order to repair our sins, in order to get rid of this temporal pain. Again, temporal, not because it is something in time, uh, but because it requires some time necessary in order to amend my life, in order to get that habit, that virtuous habit, in order to push away from my soul that bad habit that I, that I have got with my, my sin, by committing that sin, which is a vice normally, a bad habit. So temporal, because I need some time in order to, uh, 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 to do penance, and so in order to have that justice, to appease that justice, which was uh, completely infringed by my, my, my sin. So when I get the confession, again, it is the, it, the eternal pain, <coughs> that is absolved, but it is not the temporal pain to be absolved. So when a person is dying, that person receives the sacramental grace, the sacramental absolution from all sins, but the temporal pain is still there, unless the person is confessing uh, the sins with such a contrition to be able to be cleansed also from all temporal pain. Right? And in fact, the church, who is our mother, comes always to our aid by giving us a special grace in order to help us get rid of that, of that pain, of that temporal pain. And this special grace is what? It's the indulgence. 
right? The indulgence works as a grace cleansing, repairing that temporal pain in order to help us not to go to purgatory if we die. This is the point. So if we canonize the people while dying, saying that the sacrament makes that person whole, safe, and then that person is already in heaven, we actually mix up the absolution with the indulgence. And at the same time, we forget the purgatory, which is a condition after this life where we, this is the last act of mercy, it's a great act of mercy by God, the last chance, the last possibility to still be cleansed in order to be, to be purified by this temporal pain, of course, because in purgatory there are holy souls, which means souls who died in the state of grace, in the state of sanctifying grace. So they are holy because they died in the state of holy grace, sanctifying grace, but not able in life to get rid of all uh, consequences, of all this disorder caused by saints, and they need some more purification in order to see God, because nothing uh, defiled, according to the book of the Apocalypse, will be admitted in heaven. That's why the soul needs a purification. But if we mix up grace, uh, the, the forgiveness of sins with the indulgence, actually, and the temporal pain absolved by the same confession, we actually uh, make the people forget the purgatory. And this is the case, unfortunately, many times when we hear these homilies, where the, the dead, dead people are already canonized, that is, already proclaimed uh, saints, because they indeed, according to these homilies, enjoy God's vision, and then we forget the purgatory. But this is very dangerous, because if we forget the truth about purgatory, we actually have the consequences that we have an unbalanced vision of the eschatology as such. Eschatology is the theology studying the four last things. Death, judgment, uh, eternal life, and hell. And of course, there is also this, uh, this uh, condition of purification, which is purgatory. It is not mentioned among the four last things, because it is a temporal condition, so to speak. It is not a lasting condition. It's not an eternal condition. Purgatory is limited, is, a, is temporal. Though the time, there is no time in purgatory, but it is an, uh, an interim, so to say, uh, situation. After life, before eternal life. But if we deny, if we forget purgatory, we actually, uh, it looks like we, we, we neglect it and we eventually forget it, deny it. But if we deny this practically because we don't pay any attention, we don't believe anymore in this purgatory, the consequence is that we have also 
an unbalanced vision of eternal life and of eternal life with God or life of damnation without, without God. Why? You might say, why? Because if there is no purgatory, so it means there is no necess necess necessity of being purified after life, what's the necessity to be uh, condemned to hell? It means that if there is no purgatory, everyone goes directly to heaven, right? So there is no damnation to be considered. But if there is no purgatory, then consequently, uh, damnation doesn't matter anymore. What does salvation mean? What does eternal life with God mean? Because apparently, if everyone goes to eternal life, regardless of bad works or good works, saints or grace, what's eternal life? What's the meaning of this eternal life? So, purgatory plays a very important role in the eschatology in order to balance the vision of eternal life on the one hand and also this uh, uh, damnation on the other hand. Okay, so we have to be careful, of course, not to canonize the people. Of course, we don't want to deny the fact that in, a, in the last rites, we priests are allowed also to give the apostolic pardon, right? Which is a special plenary indulgence for the person. Yes, it works as a plenary indulgence. All temporal pain is absolved by this apostolic pardon. But the point is, the apostolic pardon, of course, is a grace and we have to give, but it works as an indulgence. And in order to get an indulgence, we need to, the, the, very, the most difficult, so to say, difficult condition to get an apostolic pardon, as it is for all indulgences that we may get in life, is what? Is that condition to be detached from any affection to sin, even the venial one, right? This is a condition that we normally forget when we think of indulgences. We go to Mass, receive communion, get confession, say the creed, say the Our Father, and that's it. But there is an... Uh, Another condition, which is the presupposition of all other conditions in order to get the indulgence, which is detachment from all sins, even venial sin, which means what? That I have practically to always have in myself that spirit of penance to try to get rid of that inclination to sin, which is basically the temporal pain. So the temporal pain is absolved, but I have also to have that good disposition in order not to keep any affection, any, and then any, any possible temporal pain with me. So what I mean is, what I want to say is that uh, 
the indulgence, of course, is a great gift, but we have also to have the right disposition to get an indulgence. And in any case, this means, even if the apostolic pardon is given, that the indulgence is not automatically uh, got by the person. So in any case, we can never say that the person is holy and already in heaven after, after death. We need to pay attention to purgatory. Purgatory is still a truth of faith. Purgatory is still existing, despite all these good efforts to encourage the people to say, don't worry about uh, anything, you are fine, you are with God, you are happy, and so on. No. There is purgatory. Uh, what's the foundation of this purgatory? You might say, but in the Bible there is no word about purgatory. How can we believe in it? And in fact, there is a Protestant uh, just objection saying that there is no communication at all between this life and the life of the dead people because there is no foundation in the Holy Scripture of any possible contact with this soul because uh, once you are dead, then there is the judgment. Of course, there is the judgment, but there is a, a, an individual personal judgment. And then, right after death, we have to see God and to be judged by him. And then there is a final judgment. But between the personal private judgment and the final one, there is this gap, so to speak, this interim moment, situation, which is also the existence of purgatory, this time of purification. So there is, in fact, there is actually in the Bible the foundation of purgatory, starting since the very early centuries as the faith of the Church in life eternal, in the existence of these souls, even after death, because there is eternal life, but uh, the possibility for the souls after dying to still be purified, to still need to be purified. And this is, for example, we have even a foundation in the Old Testament. You remember the episode in the book of Maccabees, second book of Maccabees, where we have Judas Maccabeus, who made atonement for the dead, that they, may, they might be delivered from their sin. You remember the episode that there was a war and Judas Maccabeus was leading the, the, the army, the Israel army against the enemies. But uh, the soldiers fighting, they were scared by the enemies. Of course, they were fighting for a, a just reason, just cause. They were fighting for Yahweh, for his uh, glory. But being scared by the enemy, they had with them, with them some amulets, something in order to be protected in war. And of course, this is a superstition. And when they died, uh, Judas Maccabeus discovered that these soldiers kept all these amulets with them. 
what to do in order to pray for these people dead, for these soldiers who fought for a just cause, but were stained by this, uh, this superstition. So Judas Maccabeus collected some money and sent the money to Jerusalem, to the temple of Jerusalem, to ask the priest to offer sacrifice for these people who uh, fell in war, but unfortunately with this sin. And the book says, why did Judas do this uh, such an action, uh, such uh, an atonement for the dead? Because he believed in the life after this life and in the possibility for these dead people to be still purified in order to attain the beatific vision. So this is the very foundation for the church since the very first centuries to start offering masses for the dead. The church since the early centuries has always offered the holy sacrifice of the mass in order to atone the sins of the people who have died. And this is the very first a solid foundation of purgatory. The faith of the church in the life eternal and the possibility for these souls to be purified. Uh, <clears throat> so basically, this is though the, the word purgatory entered officially the magisterium of the church starting with the 13th century, 1254, with Innocence the Fourth in a letter to the Bishop of Frascati when he made a point about the Greeks. He said, we, have, we, we believe by the authority of the Holy Fathers and interrupted tradition in purgatory. And uh, from now on, we, we, we want that this, uh, this condition after life of purification has to be called as such also by these Greek people. But this does not mean that the faith in the purgatory began in the 13th century. Only the magisterium was technically making reference to the condition of purification as purgatory starting with the 13th century. But the faith is since the beginning of the church. And uh, the, the, the one of the texts, there are several texts in the New Testament proving the existence of this possi possible uh, purification. One, the, the main one is the word of Jesus himself. When he speaks about the sin against the Holy Spirit, the sin against the Holy Spirit, when one utters blasphemy, against the Holy Spirit, that sin can never be forgiven, neither here nor in the life to come. Yes, you remember this text, which means what? If that sin cannot be forgiven here and there, it means that there are some other sins which can be forgiven, either here or in the life to come. So there is a possibility to be forgiven in the life to come. To be forgiven not of the sin as such, but of the penalty of that temporal pain. 
caused by sin. This is the understanding of the church since the beginning. And of course, as we said in other, in other catechesis meetings, the tradition of the church here is fundamental in order to understand what to believe. The Bible alone is not sufficient. We need the right interpretation of the Bible. We need an authority interpreting the Bible, and this authority is the magisterium of the church, and the, the constant magisterium of the church. But there is also another text very important to understand purgatory, which is the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. 3.13.15. This is the central text alluding to purgatory, which says this, Every man's work shall be manifest, for the day of the Lord shall declare it, because it shall be revealed in fire. And the fire shall try every man's work, of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work burn, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. What we understand here? Of course, it is a difficult text, but the point is, St. Saint Paul is speaking about the day of the Lord, when the, the Lord shall come to judge everyone. And in that day, the work of each one has to be revealed in fire. The work has to be proved as a solid one or something to still be uh, cleansed. In fact, the, the point is about building a spiritual house a spiritual Christian life on the very cornerstone, which is Christ. But each one can build on that stone with different materials. That's why on the day of the Lord, that building, that edifice has to be proved. Uh, any, any man's work has to be proved by the fire. But this fire is not, of course, destroying, but it is cleansing because the person uh, who has built a house with a very cheap material, that house, that uh, building will suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet uh, as going through fire. So the, the, the allusion is here to the, to the purification of the soul who has uh, not, uh, who has not um, those merits necessary to get eternal life, but needs some purification of this temporal pain which we are speaking. And here in this text, we have also the reference to the fire, which is another important element to consider in purgatory. There is the existence of fire cleansing the soul. Of course, not the body, because there is a separation in purgatory of the soul from the body. 
but there is a purifying fire. Of this fire speaks Saint Paul, but also Saint Peter. First letter of Saint Peter 1 7, the same concept. Our faith has to be proved uh, something good. And this trial is, as for the gold that is tried by the fire, so it is with the faith. It has to be tried by the fire in order to shine for the praise and glory of Jesus Christ that is appearance. So the fire is something existing. The fire is, of course, it is not a material fire, but it is a real one, real fire. And uh, the fire is not uh, consuming the soul, it's not burning the soul, it's not punishing and uh, condemning the soul, it is instead making the soul shining even more, uh, even better, because the more the soul is able to get rid of that rust caused by the sin, the more the surface can be seen, the surface can be seen and can be shiny to join God's vision. So there is this uh, the existence of fire in purgatory, and this fire is... <clears throat> Uh, mm, there is also another mention in St. Catherine of Genoa's treatise on purgatory. You know that this saint, mystic Catherine of Genoa, wrote an important work on purgatory, and she speaks about the, the joy of the souls in purgatory because they are contemplating God. They are saved. They cannot see God, of course, yet. But the, the fact that one day they can be with God is the fact of their joy. And they already have that charity making them happy, though suffering in that condition of purification. But St. Catherine speaks also about the fire, the nature of this fire. W what kind of fire is this? It is something linked with the divine charity. It is the fire of God's love burning, but of course uh, making these people uh, precious, uh, purifying, trying these people as gold is tried by the fire in order to make them be shining, to be precious, to be with God. So the, the fire of Purgatory is this love of God, burning, but same time purifying and uh, cleansing these these people. Okay, are you still with me? Right. If you're not tired yet, I just want to add some more few points, and then. Can I can I ask a quick question, Father? Sure. sure. About the the first reference you gave us about purgatory, which one yes. was that? The I one from this. From? Uh, I gave this first letter to Saint Paul of Saint Paul to the Corinthians. Yeah. Three, three, thirteen, fifteen. Three, three, three. thirteen, fifteen. That's chapter. Yes. 
33, verse... No, no chap uh, chapter, uh, three. chapter 3. Chapter, chapter three. 3. Verses yeah. from 13 to 15. 13 to 15. Thank you very much. And then, if you want, there is also first letter of St. Peter. Yep. One, I got seven. One, one, seven, yeah. Yes. And if you, you want... No, there is also another reference, Derek. Okay. I made yeah, the reference to Jesus' words about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. This is Matthew 12, 32. Matthew 12, 32. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank okay. you. No problem. Right. It's a little catechetical school here. We go back to school. <laughs> It's bigger than little, I think, Father. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a good way to refresh our catechism. And I think as you go, hopefully soon, back into parishes, <clears throat> and you are in contact with priests, uh, in contact with people. Of course, the priests preaching at the day with many all sound. They don't canonize the people, hopefully, during the, the masses. But it is good to know the problem in order to, in your capacity, in your possibility, to help both the priest and the people to have a good understanding of purgatory. Also because in the month of November, you give a special space in your prayers, yes, during the day with Mary to the holy souls in purgatory, which is a great devotion, um, of course, to have a right understanding of purgatory means also to have a very good devotion to the holy souls in purgatory. You pray for the holy souls, you offer masses for the holy souls, if you believe that there is a purgatory. Because if you deny the purgatory or you neglect it, what's the point to offer mass for the holy souls, for the holy souls in purgatory? They're already in, with God, they are, they are holy. There is a, another objection coming. Uh, maybe this is a question for you. But how can you, where do you read about the possibility of a time between inverted commas in purgatory when there is no time, the people have died and they are outside this time, no longer with us. So they are already in the eternity. <clears throat> how can you justify a purification before eternity. So the souls in purgatory are not yet with God in eternal life, but they are no longer with us. So where are they? That's why it's not clear. So it's not possible. They are with God. They are in the eternity. So there is no purgatory. How can we justify this interim <coughs> purification. What kind of time is there in purgatory? We can easily ask uh, answer this question when we understand the temporal pain. You know, we spoke about the temporal pain. Temporal because of the duration of um, the the my penance in order to make to make up for what I have um, done badly wrongly in my in my life. 
So there is a duration because I have to amend my life to get rid of that bad habit, that consequence of my sin. So it is in order to understand this duration also after life that we speak of a, a condition place after this life before eternal life, which is purgatory. But if we want to be even more accurate with the theologians, with St. Thomas Aquinas and other middle-aged theolo great theologians, we speak of a very specific time, so to speak, but it's not a time, it is an interim situation between time and eternity, which is called by the theologians Evo, E-B-O, Evo Eternity, which is not time, but not yet eternity. It is a middle, uh, halfway through condition. But uh, you might say, but this is an invention. No, it's a way to explain also the condition of the angels in heaven. You know why? Because when you think of the angels, the angels, by nature, they are perfect uh, spirits and they are eternal. They are created, but they are with God. But the angels also change, in a sense, because they have thoughts. They do, they change. When you think, and then you think something else, there is a change. How can you justify the permanence of an angel in the eternity and the change of their mind? The change of um, when they take a decision. This is the case, for example, with the rebellion of the, the bad angels, Satan and his uh, allies. How can you justify this change of decision when they were already created and it, in in relation to their being with God, right for this reason. As creatures, by nature, they are already with God in eternity, but by the fact that they can choose, they are not eternal, but in this condition, middle, middle condition, which is uh, between time and eternity, right? So it is possible to justify, of course it is possible to have this condition of purgatory, which is, though it is not eternal, it is an interim condition of pure purification. So there is a special time in purgatory, allowed by God, the evo, evo, to make these souls... Uh, be purified from all their sins. Now, to finish, what's the role of Our Lady in Purgatory? Does Our Lady have any role with the Holy Souls in Purgatory? Of course, of course she, she has a big role. You remember the scapula of, you are very devoted to Our Lady of Mount Carmel with the scapula devotion. And you remember the Sabbatine privilege. I never know whether you say Sabbatine or Sabbatine privilege. Sabbatine. Sabbatine, okay. Like Sabbatine Sabbath. privilege. The, this was a revelation, you know, to John the 22nd, 
to be delivered from purgatory the first Saturday after death. When the, all these requests uh, with the scapula were fulfilled, so not only to wear the scapula, but also to add some prayers to say. So the Sabbatin privilege is a clear manifestation of Our Lady's intercession for the holy souls in purgatory. So her role of mother and mediatrix of grace for these holy souls. So the role of Our Lady is right this. Since she is mediatrix of all graces, she uh, gives these graces of salvation, of deliverance from purgatory to these holy souls. And many saints also say that each Saturday, which is Our Lady's Day, Our Lady uh, pay, uh, pays a visit to the purgatory. She goes to the purgatory to bring with her um, some of the souls uh, already uh, um, still in there. But also there is another beautiful tradition, especially in Rome, since early centuries, to, on the day of Our Lady's Assumption, to have a procession, a candlelight procession, in order to pray, especially for the holy souls in purgatory, a night procession, accompanying Our Lady in that uh, moment when she was believed. On that day, she went to heaven to still be to still be spiritually again going to heaven and bringing with her many, many of the souls in purgatory. But again, there is more, there is uh, St. Bridget of Sweden, for example. She says she was very devoted to Our Lady and Our Lady as the one who delivers the souls from purgatory. She writes, I'm the mother of all the souls in purgatory, and I am mother of mercy to these my children who are in the greatest need of my assistance, since in their torments they cannot help themselves. Again, she says that Our Lady is a compassionate mother. She condescends to go herself often into that holy prison to visit and comfort her suffering children. Finally, there is also St. Bernardine of Siena who says that in that prison where souls that are spouses of Jesus Christ are detained, Mary has a certain dominion and plenitude of power not only to relieve them but even to deliver them from their pains. So two important actions, to relieve them and to deliver them. You remember also St. Maximilian Kolbe, who said uh, that the Holy Rosary is a very powerful means to deliver these holy souls from purgatory. And he even says each rosary prayed with devotion, it's a soul delivered from purgatory. Each holy soul or holy rosary, we say. Okay.